Welcome to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. This podcast brings you teaching and preaching from our archives, and you can find more resources, audio, video, and books at unionpublishing.org. What we're going to do today is we're going to move on to see how some of the other key areas such as sin, grace, faith, Christ, union with Christ, are all affected by this um, soteriological shift that Luther had had spotted. See how you can't just pull out one doctrine. They're not like marbles in a jar. Doctrines are like threads in a garment. You tug on one and you tug on all of them. And Luther was very consciously aware of that. Um, very early in 1520, for example, he, he wrote that the Trinity is the highest article on which all others hang. In 1520, he said that. So very, very early. And he's seeing how... Um, the Trinitarian nature of the gospel had been submerged in the late Middle Ages. And by recovering the Trinitarian nature of the gospel, you would actually recover the gratuity and beauty of the gospel. Maybe we'll come to that a little bit at some point, how does the Trinity do that? But I want to come on to look at um, the question of sin now, and we get to the next really key debate, probably the most key debate of all in the Reformation, uh, which happened a few years after where we've got to. So we, we've been sort of 1517 to 1519, 1520 time with what we've been looking at so far. We're just going to move on a few years to 1524. 1524, Erasmus is the most celebrated scholar of his day. Um, Erasmus of Rotterdam, he's the man who published the Greek New Testament um, that converted Luther. But Erasmus' idea of Christianity... Um, well, it was like his idea of Reformation. So Erasmus, he was friends with the Pope in his day, dedicated his Greek New Testament to the Pope, didn't think that was going to be a problem. Uh, And he believed that what the Roman Catholic Church needed in his day was a few improvements, do a bit better be a better version of itself, give it a moral scrub. And and likewise with us all. So he looked at Rome, and Rome was in a pretty bad way in the early 1500s. You have a pope who um, famously has children who themselves go on to hold orgies in the Vatican and murder people. It, it's pretty, pretty gruesome in the Vatican at this time. And 
Erasmus knows this, but he thinks it's just a slight moral problem. There's no deep theological issue. And, and that, I think, is, is something we're seeing in the evangelical church today with the problems we face that I think too many look at the issues that we face today and say, merely moral issues. And we see certainly some moral issues, but it's easier to say they're merely moral issues. That there's no theological roots to them. And that was how Erasmus saw things in his day. There's no theological roots, there's no theological problem here. It, it's just a little moral thing. And likewise with us all individually, there isn't a really deep problem, we just need to do a bit better. And so he liked Luther in the early days because he knew Reformation was necessary. But he felt that Luther went over the top and was pushing things too far. And particularly in his language about grace. Uh, and so in 1524, he wrote a book designed to cool Luther down, called The Freedom of the Will, arguing sin is not something that affects us so deeply or powerfully that it actually enslaves us. So he would say, we can earn true merit before God. Um, and he imagined it like this. God is like a kind father who, uh, when you have a father with a young kid, take a, a father with a young boy who can just toddle and kick a ball. A son walks across the room unsteadily just manages to kick a ball, you know, it goes off at some ridiculous angle, and the father's full of praise and says, well done, son, brilliant. And it wasn't brilliant, it was useless. But the father's a proud father. It wasn't a great kick, but the father's thrilled that his son is learning to kick. And so the father genuinely sees how great this is for his son, and so, in a sense, makes more of it than it actually is. So the rest of us are completely unmoved and go, yeah, there's not much to it. The Father is genuinely thrilled. And so it is with God and us, Erasmus says. He makes mountains out of the molehills of our righteousness because he's kind. But there has to be a molehill of righteousness there for him to make a mountain out of it. So, if we produce no righteousness towards our salvation, then what credit can anyone have with God? So, we've got to do something, surely. And so, Erasmus clearly has entirely missed Luther's point that we have no righteousness of our own, but Christ's righteousness imputed to us. Now, Erasmus um, meant this as a gentle correction. Luther saw it as a direct assault on the very vitals of the Reformation 
And the next year, 1525, he wrote a book on the bondage of the will. And he said this, he said, now my good Erasmus, you alone have attacked the real issue, the essence of the matter in dispute, and have not wearied me with irrelevancies about the papacy, purgatory, indulgences, and such like trifles. The trifles they are, rather than basic issues, with which almost everyone hitherto has gone hunting for me without success. You and you alone have seen the vital spot, the question on which everything hinges. So he's saying, this is it. This is, this is what the Reformation hinges on. How deep do you think sin goes? Thank you for listening to Delighting in the Trinity. If this podcast has encouraged you and you would like to stay in touch with the ministry of Michael Reeves, then we would love to invite you to become a friend of Union. On signing up, you'll receive a free book from Union Publishing. Then you'll receive regular exclusive devotional material from us. You'll also have the chance to keep up with the latest news and updates from the ministry of Michael Reeves around the world. If you would like to become a friend of Union today, follow the link in the podcast description now. Thank you so much. Now, the title that Luther gives it um, the bondage of the will, uh, that commonly throws people and I think makes people instinctively feel that's wrong, I can't be with Luther. Because you, your immediate reaction is, I make free choices every day, I always do what I want, so my will is definitely not bound, I always do what I want. And Luther would say, yes, you do always choose to do what you want, you always do what you want, every day, he would agree with that. But here's what you don't do. You don't choose what to want. Because underneath your choices, underneath your will, directing that free choice, is your heart with its inclinations and desires. And it's Proverbs 16, in his heart that a man plans his course. And Proverbs 16 isn't, sometimes people try to say, heart in scripture really means head. But that's not what Proverbs is getting at. The point is, you plan your course according to what's in your heart and your desires. And that's really what's driving. So yes, you are using your head in planning your course, but you're driven by your heart's desires. So you at making your choice of what to eat at lunchtime will be driven by your desire. Which food is more tasty to you or healthy, if that's what you want to you, whatever it is you're looking for, there's going to be certain things you want that are going to affect the choice you go for. And that's why we choose to sin.
it isn't because we're forced into it. I've given you a reading from The Bondage of the Will. And there, Luther says that when a man is without the Spirit of God, it's not that he does evil against his will, as if we were taken by the scruff of the neck and forced to it. Nor is it because we weigh the odds of each decision and choose what's most sensible. Our choices are driven by our desires, and we are naturally, Ephesians 2, carrying out the desires of the flesh. Uh, we choose sin because that's what we want. And we naturally, John 3, love darkness. And so, James 1, each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And so, what Luther was beginning to see is that, and what he got clear on once the Reformation got going, was that the problem of our sin goes right down into the affections of our hearts, what we desire, shaping what we choose, what we want. And so we never naturally want God. So we freely choose to do the things we do. And, and we can, therefore, we can freely choose to live a life of outward morality and respectability. But left to ourselves, we'll never choose God because we never want God. Now, that's very different to Erasmus' position. Erasmus um, took the uh, basic Augustinian position that our problem is sloth. We are spiritually sluggish and sleepy. So you know you ought to be more holy than you are, and you go, oh, can I be bothered? And that's your problem. You just don't have enough get up and go to be holy. That's your problem. And what we need if we're to be righteous, therefore, if your problem is laziness, what do you need? Pull yourself together. Because you can do it. Put in the proper effort. And there, that was Erasmus' basic position. But Luther's own decade, or more than a decade-long experience, had given the lie to that. He'd put in extraordinary religious effort. And he was left saying, I did not love, yes, I hated the righteous God who punishes sinners. And so what Luther saw was he could strive as hard as he wanted and only find himself further from fulfilling the law because all his works were producing an outward show of righteousness, but it was all a sham, and inside he actually wasn't loving the Lord at all. It was quite the opposite, hating him. And so Luther was seeing, actually, my behavior is merely manifesting what's going on inside. 
I'm sinning because I'm a sinner. The problem is, is deep in the roots of me and nothing is unscathed or neutral. And so what's needed, and he came to see what all sinners need, is a radical renewal, a new heart that would freely love and be pleased with God. And that, he saw, would only come about through the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. The heart, he saw, has to be turned, melted, wooed. And that will happen only through the gospel transforming that heart that has hated God. And only the gospel has the power to open the eyes of the sinner so they can see God for who he is in his kindness and so find his heart changed from hatred to love of God. I'd like to give you a couple of questions to think through. I'm just going to give you a few minutes to think these through. Where today do we see um, an Erasmian view of the human condition? And I'm thinking particularly in the church. Where do we see an Erasmian view of the human condition? And second question, how would Erasmus pastor people? Okay, uh, so over the years, it, with, with that theology, how would Erasmus pastor <coughs> people, and what's that theology going to do to him as a pastor and to his people? Okay. You've been listening to Delighting in the Trinity with Michael Reeves, brought to you by Union. Union is devoted to growing leaders and growing churches. Our School of Theology equips leaders for ministry. Union Publishing supplies them and their churches with quality theological resources and books. Union Mission supports and financially helps church planting and revitalization. And Newton House Oxford invests in the next generation of theologians and scholars. Our vision is to see leaders and their churches the world over reformed and 